This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Queeros, it's your boy Cammy. I can't believe who I have on the episode today. It's Melissa King, Chef Melissa King. I like love this person. And this conversation is incredibly cute. Also, do you live in Vancouver? Because I am doing some shows at Just for Laughs in Vancouver, like on February 24th and February 27th at Just for Laughs in Vancouver. Hey, you can go to CameronEsposito.com slash tour for tickets. Note to self, add the tickets to your website before this publishes. Also, uh... Just want to thank everybody, as always, that supports the show on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros, and you can help keep your favorite show, I assume this is your favorite show, on air by becoming a patron and hanging out with us during our special Patreon patron Sunday chat. Okay, more info on the Patreon. Bye-bye. Enjoy the episode. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still Hi. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, Cameron. Yeah, it's really it's really nice to meet you. I you too. am such a fan of what you do. You know, I think we we very like forever ago met at a Tegan and Sarah Foundation event, like their <laughs> inaugural event like years ago. Yep. Yes. But yes. very briefly, there was a lot of people there. But yeah, really great to connect here on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Um how how actually you know what hang on a second i forgot how my own podcast goes i always have guests introduce themselves would you introduce yourself oh okay um no pressure let's see uh i'm chef melissa king i'm a chef in san francisco i do i keep going it, it whatever you want to say i mean oh. i'm already enamored with chef melissa king like as like an honorific you know like i didn't necessarily realize that it's like doctor yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, it's that's rad. Um, but continue. You're chef in San Francisco. Uh, chef in San Francisco. I was on a show called Top Chef All Stars. I was the winner of that season, season 17. I'm also a judge now, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, just hanging out. <laughs> that I have no idea how um, that works in terms of like, I don't really understand the interplay between being a chef who works in restaurants and then being a chef who's on television being a chef. Like, I don't really understand how those things are related to each other. Could oh, I you... don't either. <laughs> but like, like, I guess my, I guess my first question is like, are you like really cooking? Like what? Like, how does anything work? I know how television works. And I think yeah. I understand how making food works, although not being a chef. But how do yeah. those things uh, work together in your experience? Well, for Top Chef, when you compete, you're really cooking. So, you know, when Padma tells you you have one hour for a 30-minute quick fire, literally time starts. That's what's happening. And you go. Yeah. And then the cameras just follow. But you're, you are in your zone and you're, you're cooking your dish and trying to make it perfect in front of everybody in the world that's watching <laughs> so it's, it's a lot of pressure um but yeah it is real cooking at least top chef is I, mean, I can't speak for other shows because i haven't competed on the other ones but top chef has a ha, especially when i started judging i felt there was so much I, I gained a lot more respect and integrity for the show more than i originally had as a competitor oh why yeah why just because i you know, you. I think, I think when I was competing, there's a part of you that thinks, "Oh, this is TV," <laughs> you know, or like, "What are they? What can they control on on the other end of things?" But then, um, as a judge, I'm in it, and I'm a part of the experience of choosing who wins and who loses, and and providing that feedback. And it is a very honest and true competition. There's. Yeah, everyone has an equal voice 
as a judge. So yeah, I kind of saw more of the like back end of of that side of of the show and really gained so much more respect than ever for for the competition. How did you get approached to participate in the show? <laughs> um I remember I was cooking in restaurants here in the Bay Area and I don't know, I just kind of got bored one day and decided to apply for it. And uh, they didn't call me back for two or three years. And I thought, okay, I dodged a bullet because I was actually really nervous to even attempt to go on TV and cook and compete in a competition. Um, So anyways, they didn't call me back for like two or three years. And then um, a producer called one day and said, hey, we want you to apply again. And so I kind of went through that process all over, which is a very long interview process. It's like, two or three week, three months of interviews. It's worse than like applying for college or any, you know, dream job. <laughs> and then next thing you know, I was like going on the show and, and they told me to pack my knives and go. And yeah, and I just kind of like. <laughs> I understand. That's, you know. <laughs> that's such a, what a cute turn of phrase. So. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I just kept going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you surprised by that? Are you surprised that it's continued to go? Certainly. Um, you know, I I had no idea what I would expect from the experience of, you know, cooking on television. I think, um, you know, my, my entire career was in restaurants and I thought I would just, you know, own a restaurant someday and just become a chef and, you know, do the, do the traditional route of cooking. And then... Um, ended up going on this show and just putting my heart into the competition. And the first season, season 12 in Boston, I placed as a finalist. So that, you know, kind of propelled my career into a new direction and kind of put a spotlight on on things. And so I never really realized the magnitude of that. And right. You know, even things like representation and how important it is. And, you know, like I came out on the show, sort of, <laughs> or I, I like came in your real- human life, you came out yes, on the show in my, in your, ex- and it like translated to that was you coming out. Exactly. Like, yeah. I, well, I came out in, in my regular life um, to only family members, like my mom and my dad, my sister, and that was kind of it, uh, and friends. But going on something like a national cooking show and then kind of expressing to the whole world, that was like a whole nother like stepping stone of my life was coming out to, you know, grandma and, you know, people, my mom's friends and people on the outside that, um, you know, I was never really that open with. Right. Yeah, it was really cool. What year was that? This was back in... Oh, geez, I don't even know. Like, like eight years 20, ago. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yes. Which, because I think that that's also something that, like, I mean, because technically this, you know, falls in the category of reality TV, although it's like the competition side of things versus the, like, I don't know, lifestyle mm-hmm. side of things or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's easy to even forget that, like, also in that sphere, there wasn't a lot of representation. I because I, I think now that's so unusual for a show to not include like um like BIPOC folks or or mm-hmm. queer folks, like trans folks. Like it's just so much more, it's so common for that. It's it's like a it feels almost like a checklist of like this has to happen versus I think at that time that was very different. Yeah, it was not yeah, it was not very it was not super common in in my estimation yeah i i agree with that i think now you see a lot more of that but back then it was scary for me to go through but also empowering Uh, and yeah it it was and and that was what eight years ago like we said and then i ended up coming back on the all-star season which was only right at the beginning of the pandemic and like did the whole thing all over again, <laughs> but yeah. was like a was a very different version of myself. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I would imagine. And then between yeah. there, between those two experiences in that in those years in, in between, 
you were <laughs> cooking? You were you went back into restaurants? You were so I didn't go back into restaurants. I ended up um, just kind of starting a company that umbrellaed a lot of the different entrepreneurial ventures that I do now um, from virtual, I mean, not virtual classes. Now I do virtual classes, but more were like in-person experiences and classes or dinners, uh, corporate dinners, private dinners. Um, yeah, I kind of just umbrellaed a lot of things, even consulting. I had consulted in Japan for about a year and got to open a restaurant out there in Tokyo. Wow. I like that whole thing. It was wild. How any of this works. (laughs) That's so interesting. Right. Yes, of course. So then it's like Melissa King from Top Chef is coming to cook for the executives that work at this company as a part of Mm -hmm. their like holiday package. Yeah. A lot of those during the holiday season. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just kind of started exploring what what life as a chef could be outside of a restaurant. That's so and real and and recognizing that you can still be successful and not, you know, have to have the singular traditional path. Right. And and so yeah, it was really amazing um, to just you know see how the those next few years after the show evolved, and then going back on All Stars, and winning that series like took it into a whole nother realm as well. And so now, you know, I am doing more judging um, opportunities on on television and working on book opportunities and all these that, other things. So yeah, it's really cool. It's exciting. I'm, I'm very aware. excited. <laughs> I am aware that you're working on a book opportunity. Um, uh, working on Yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be a while, as you know, because you... yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you, yeah. do you know that my, that's my that's my spouse's imprint that bought your book do you know that i don't know that <laughs> it's just something that has talked about that's been talked about in my house that oh that's they were awesome. very excited yeah yeah like i it just was a random happenstance where i was like oh awesome that's great i <laughs> yeah i love that person and yeah we we're talking about it over our dinner that we had cooked in a less professional way what did you house. make i don't know i don't who, remember who the dinner in your house i don't okay. re- who cooks oh um yeah. you know what? We, both, we both cook um, we both really love to cook. Um, I would say my spouse is a real uh, recipe follower, um, which it turns out is like sometimes a really good thing to be. I have like ne- never followed a recipe in my life um, and just kind of grew up trying a bunch of stuff. And so anyway, sometimes my stuff is amazing. It's always <laughs> a surprise. <laughs> You cook with the heart, though, you know, you cook with intuition. And I think, yeah, yeah, I think there's strength to that. Yes. But Katie, my spouse, uh, she cooks. She's she's a very good cook. And so, yeah, we both cook, but um, she cooks really different stuff than I she like grew up eating really different stuff than I grew up eating. So it's been it's been cool to see what she does in the kitchen. Um, Love it. What did you grow up eating? What did I grow up eating? Um, so my family, my mom is from Hong Kong. My dad's from Shanghai. So I grew up eating a lot of Cantonese things. Like we'd have dim sum every Sunday with my grandma. Uh, a lot of congee, especially on days where I was sick. That's like the chicken noodle soup of uh, of, of our culture. Um, a lot of noodles and dumplings. I remember making dumplings probably at the age of like five, just kind of like helping out at the table. They're like the ugliest dumplings, but you know, <laughs> I was trying <laughs> as a five-year-old. Um, the ugly then, dumpling, a children's book, just pitching it back to you. Oh Think about my it. gosh. It's a great idea. Let's write it together. <laughs> talk to your, I'm not talk kidding. To your spouse. Let's make this happen. You and me, we'll go pitch it to Katie. She's just on the hall. It's actually a great idea. I'm serious. I, I love that idea. <laughs> it's a great idea. <laughs> coming in 2027 absolutely (laughs) however long it takes to write a book absolutely (laughs) uh but continue yes the food yeah so a lot of and then then there was the shanghainese side of my family where there was a lot of you know shanghainese soup dumplings and um uh, what other things did we eat a lot of like sweet and sour sort of flavor profiles uh fried fish so yeah, it, it was great to just kind of grow up on these comfort foods, but I think as a 
professional chef, I never thought to like put the two and two together until. Oh, really? Until years later. Yeah. Until like all stars, I think around that, around those years um, is when I started to kind of embrace more of my childhood roots and the flavors that I grew up on. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that doesn't, it's like, that's not, that's not shocking given the, um, like, I don't know about your schooling, um, but I'd love to ask about it. And then I'm also just thinking about what you just said, you know, I mean, my understanding of things is always like random shit that I've read and put together, but I'm thinking about what you're just saying based on like, the trajectory that I've seen happening at like Bon Appetit magazine where there were, were, you know, in the last year, a lot of folks have been talking about like that the folks that were writing recipes that some some writers may have grown up eating that thing. Uh, a white person was then writing that recipe. And then the person that is a person of color who grew up eating that thing is then like writing the recipe about like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or whatever. And there that there was like a total... Um, you know, disconnect and um, like deliberate distancing between a person's um, cultural, ethnic, racial origins and the foods that they might be able to cook. That's my understanding as like a true outsider. I would imagine that if it's like happening at Bon Appetit, that it's kind of happening everywhere. Um, Was that (laughs) like what, you know, what was your schooling like or yeah. Well, how do you want to respond to anything I just wow. said? <laughs> I mean, we could get we could like talk forever about this. But yes, yeah, I would I love to talk like, forever about this. Great. Like, for instance, I grew up in I went to an all Christian white school. Oh, from elementary school to junior high. And I was like one of two Asian kids. The other Asian kid was like my sister. So, yeah, you know, like, and then I'd have like the lunchbox. It was like the whole lunchbox story of like the immigrant lunchbox. You show up with your kanji and your fried rice and that kind of stuff and like the fermented smelly things. Yes. And I used to be ashamed of that. I felt, I felt like I just want the peanut butter jelly sandwich that everybody else has. And I remember even through my culinary career, you know, when you go to culinary school, you learn French cuisine. Like French yes. is the main, like basic foundation to food. And at that time, all the Michelin star restaurants in the world were your European restaurants, French, Italian, Spanish. They weren't, there was no talks of, you know, the Michelin star Chinese restaurant down the street, <laughs> you know? Right. So um, I think I kind of grew up in these Michelin star kitchens in America feeling that I had to create European food. And so I, and I, I kind of dove into that because that's the main foundation to, to what I was learning at the time, but I never really thought back on what, what about the foods of my childhood and things that inspired me as a kid and, and dishes. I just, I, somehow it was so separate in my head. And I think a lot also may have had to do with being Chinese American and feeling, I don't know, like that I needed to like be more American or be more, be less Chinese and kind of like hide that side of myself. Right. So yeah, I never really talked about, you know, kanji and dumplings and things like that until only a few years ago. And I think a lot has to also do with the mainstream catching on to ethnic foods and and praising them and, mm-hmm. and recognizing that they are as good as, you know, any Michelin star place. So, yeah. Do you, would you attribute that to the internet? Like how, like, like how we got in, into a slightly, I'm not saying it's like fixed, but into just culturally, obviously a, a different place than every French restaurant run is the best and <laughs> everything yeah. else is the worst. I, I mean, I do think there, you know, there, there's good and bad to social media. And I, I, the beautiful side of it is that you are able to access and see what someone's eating, you know, on the other side of the world. Right. And you can share that. And so, yeah, things will go viral, like the little TikToks about I don't know, someone making noodles or something like that and and in China. And so I think like that has really uplifted a a lot of 
our cuisines, cuisines that, you know, I've always thought were just normal <laughs> and, and things that my mom made, but recognizing that, you know, I should be proud of these dishes and they, they are like delicious and awesome. And like, why not share that with people on the internet? Yeah. I mean, I would even go so far as to talk about like something like Yelp, you know, having an effect. I mean, that would be more like in like 15 years ago or something range. But I'm thinking about like when I, you know, I grew up, I literally ate like pretty much like only Italian food <laughs> until I went to college. Yeah. And then I, I moved to Boston and in Boston, um, just because of the like density of, you know, it's more students per capita than any other city in the world. And like, just because of the amount of students that are there, um, mm -hmm. I think that like, and there's a ton of international students. I just think there, it was just a really different orientation to food that was not Italian food than I had grown <laughs> up with because it's just like all the restaurants were everywhere and everybody was going to them. Um, but then I moved back to Chicago and it's like how to even find foods that I didn't grow up with. And then like also what is the stuff that's on the menu? I'm just thinking about like seeing pictures, you know, mm -hmm. people going and reviewing and it's not like a, the guy from um ratatouille but it's like a person who's posting a photograph <laughs> then i can see what it looks like and i yeah you know yeah. so I, yeah um i know that for me that has really changed like what i'm aware of which i think is mm -hmm. is a huge um which has really just yeah changed my life a lot yeah like i can't open my instagram without seeing pictures of food like it's right. just like food <laughs> and like look and seeing what other chefs are eating. And, and I, I'm a victim of that. Yeah. I'm constantly like pulling my phone out to take a picture of something before I eat it <laughs> and then like put it on Instagram before, before we even like get to what it tastes like. Um, but I don't know, I get excited to share like what I'm eating and, and all the new foods and flavors that are out there. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's also really interesting to me because, um, I mean, food is also so personal and especially for somebody who's now like, I mean, essentially you've, you, you're still a chef, but you've also kind of crossed over into like a lifestyle brand person, which is what happens when one gets a certain amount of television exposure. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm thinking about like how, I think we both know examples of folks that like what they would be saying that they're eating might not be what they're actually eating. Um, <laughs> in that realm, like, I think once we get to that yeah. realm, it's a lot of, like, image and a lot. Yes. And our relationship to food is very image connected. And I'm curious about how that, what that is like for you, you know, somebody like, who has Like that maintaining authenticity and Yeah, and stuff. actually, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I, for instance, like, I... If I'm just eating something my mom made at home, like I'll I'll talk about that on Instagram because I do like I'm I feel I'm not going to like sugarcoat what we eat or like hide the thousand year old duck eggs that are in my kanji just because it looks gross, <laughs> but it tastes amazing. And, and it's something that, you know, for me is nostalgic to my childhood. Um, but, yeah, I do think like everything out there is very aesthetically driven um in the social world and it it can be frustrating when you see that that loss of authenticity or the appropriation of someone's dishes as well like i've, I've seen a lot of that on a couple media outlets out there um i won't name names but you know i've seen things where i'm like what like that is not a exo sauce or that's not a low main or whatever you want you know like they're just using the the key terms to sell it but when you look at the actual dish there's no heart there's no soul to like what it to what that dish is to that culture and what it represents to those people yeah and i'm also thinking about health like um mainstream like health messaging which is so often at odds with like real health you know which is like which could be like taking a, a gummy bear that like makes your hair grow and not like have anything to do with like what is good for your body you know like there's a real difference and and um that's really taken off in the last couple of years and but it's also something that i grew up with i think you know is like a really strict and very strange 
um, relationship to what foods are healthy. Like I grew up in like the low fat craze. Oh, really? Era. Uh-huh. So like that is a wild time to grow up in the U.S. Like we're every we're like the healthiest thing you can do for lunch is like a low fat brownie. And, yeah. and it's just like this is it's like not even related to food. Um, it's just like its own thing. Um and Margum, I'm curious if that has like impact. fake butter. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Fake. Well, I mean, yeah, I grew like I grew up on you know processed canned foods. Like when 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 we were home, and if my mom didn't have time to make us a Chinese meal because she was busy working, we'd have frozen dinners, and we'd have every canned food you can think out there. So I've eaten it all, and a part of me is like a little bit proud that I've done that. <laughs> Or that I've gone through that experience of my life. Uh, or like, I'm not ashamed to tell people that because um, people always assume, well, you're a chef. Like, there's no way you've eaten, you know, low fat this. Hey, Chef Boyardee is Diet a that. <laughs> and um, yeah, exactly. And Chef Boyardee and those sort of things. And I'm like, I've eaten all of it. <laughs> Give me a Hot Pocket. I'll eat it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Hot Pockets are good. That's they're just, amazing. That's just true. They're They're delicious. There's a reason. <laughs> It got me through college. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to say this. I haven't had a pocket, a hot pocket in 20 years. Maybe they were horrifying. But at one time, I thought they were very good. Same. Yeah. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! What do you what do you make at home? What do you eat in your house? I I tend to cook. A lot of chefs not they don't when they come home from work because they're just they don't want to look at it uh, and they like order out or something, but I try to do what I can to cook at home. I I enjoy it and I'm able to like separate work cooking from cooking for people that I love at home. So yeah, it'll it ranges. I've been eating a lot more plant-based things these days, kind of trying to just go really veg heavy and like piece of protein. So it could be like a roasted veggie bowl. It could be and then other days I, I want to do like spaghetti and meatballs. You know, it's like really just simple homey things that I make. Because let's be real. We don't have all the time in the world either. <laughs> so I just want to like throw something together real quick. And I'll just like make a salad and like sear a piece of fish. What culinary schooling did you have? I know you said that it was French based, but where did you where did you study? I went to the Culinary Institute of America in New York for two years. But prior to that, I actually did my undergrad at UC Irvine and I have a degree in cognitive science. What and like is that? <laughs> it's like neuroscience. <laughs> you have your degree in neuroscience? Yeah. It's like psychology and neuroscience and biology like all put together. What how, why? <laughs> right? How? Um talk so, to me about yeah, let's this the beginning here. <laughs> Because I've wanted to cook my whole life. Like, I remember being five or six and, like, standing on a stool, helping my mom stir fry vegetables in a big wok. But my family is very traditional, traditional Asian immigrant parents. And it's the classic story of them wanting me to do something not creative with my life and to go to college and get a a real degree, (laughs) go to a real school and that kind of stuff. So... Um, I went through the motions, you know, and I went and uh, did my undergrad. And looking back, I don't regret it at all. I think at the time I was pretty resentful because I I wanted to go to culinary school out of high school. Uh, But I felt I was constantly having to, like, fight for my dream. 
whether it was my family or friends or just people that thought I wouldn't make it. And so that kind of like I had a, I definitely had a complex around it. <laughs> it like, went all the way into my first season of Top Chef. Um, and then after that, I, I felt, you know what, I don't have to prove anything to anyone. Uh, end of the day, it's really like I, I'm doing what makes me happy. And that's what matters most. Wow. And that has lifted that feeling. And that's lifted. Absolutely. Wow, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It, it took it took many years for me to get to that point, but or that realization. And again, you know, Top Chef ended up kind of being that catalyst that brought me through that that kind of sparked that journey of exploring who I was and my identity and feeling comfortable in my skin completely, whether it was coming out or whether it was pursuing cooking as my passion and my dream. Um, so yeah, really solidified that journey and that confidence. So you went, you went to college and then what was there a period of time before you went to culinary school after that, or was it, you completed the degree and then you said, okay, now one for me, like, it's like, which way did it go? It was kind of the latter. <laughs> um, yeah, I went straight to culinary. I was like, right after I graduated, I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm I'm going. <laughs> so I applied for culinary school and just moved to New York. And I actually kind of like lived this whole double life over there because that was where I came out. I remember coming out on the East Coast, being closeted on the West Coast because I, I grew up in L.A., and um, yeah, kind of living that life for two years. And I remember the East Coast experience. It was a time for me to start over and like do what I love and be 100% me. And of course, I like met my first girlfriend there too. So <laughs> that kind of helped the coming out journey. What was your what was your East Coast out life like? It was still quite quiet in a way compared to these days. But, you know, I, I was at least, I remember the day I stepped foot in my culinary school and I met my first roommate. I just told her, I was like, I'm, I, I think I started with bi because I like, that was like the safe term for me at the time, even though I like, let's be real. I'm like very gay, <laughs> very queer. Um, so I kind of introduced myself to people, um, you know, and tried to be really as open as I could to any new friends that I met. But I didn't really like meet anyone until like a year into school. Yeah. And you met, did you meet a fellow student? Were you going, it, it, were you going out? What was, what was going oh, on? Yeah. Like, oh, I see. You want to get, you want to get I want to hear okay. about, what was your, what was that life like? <laughs> this is all going to be in the book, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Don't give us too many details. Um... Yeah, I was going out. I remember I was just kind of diving into like chef culture and meeting people that were like that were interested in the same things um, and recognizing that I wasn't this like weirdo that was obsessed with food or I wasn't the only one. <laughs> and so, yeah, we went out a lot. I mean, chefs, they like to drink. Not gonna lie, right. there's, a, there's a lot culture. of that culture. Yeah, okay. It was I know what you're talking rough. about. <laughs> yeah, I don't drink anymore. Really, it's it's very minimal these days. But um, I did at one point in time fall a bit deep into the chef culture, and it wasn't my proudest moment of my life. But it was an experience. I hey. I know what you're talking. I actually kind of know what you're talking. I relate to what you're talking about. You know, there was yeah. a time when I was a yeah. I mean, I was a stand-up comic in my 20s at one point, and oh, geez. I don't think it's such a different thing because you know when you when your job is the thing that other people go to, you, you know, like I wasn't blowing off steam at the thing because you're mm -hmm. you are the thing, so everybody else is blowing off steam, and then there's like the bar that everybody goes to after the place where they all performed, and then there's like in Chicago, which is where I was like really cutting my teeth because I started in Boston. But then when I was really cutting my teeth, I was in Chicago. There are there are bars that close at two and then there are bars that close at four and then there are bars that close at five. <laughs> I don't know why this is true. Like, why oh would that be God. true? And they serve alcohol the whole time? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you with different last point? calls or whatever. 
But wow. it's like you could go to the 2 a.m. bar and be like, oh, actually, do you want to go to the 4 a.m. bar? And then be like, oh, you want to go to the 5 a.m. bar? And then you could end up at like <laughs> the um, t- t- going, going out to get like Mexican. You know, there'd be like there's like two types of restaurants that would be open that late. And it would be like a, probably like a taqueria or it would be a, like Greasy Spoon Diner. And yep. then you're eating like a full burrito. <laughs> At like that's the San like Francisco four life o'clock too. in the morning, which is actually also like just a terrible thing to do to your body. It's Horrible, a real punishment. We did so much of that though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel it was good. Rough. You don't wake up feeling good. It doesn't. There was I used to yeah. when I used to <laughs> at this time period in my life. I used to ride my bike everywhere. That was like my main mode of transportation, and I would I would wear a backpack that I would have like my joke notebook in it. And then I don't even know, probably like a shirt because I was like sweating through all of my clothes because I was riding my bike everywhere. <laughs> and but it also had uh, water bottle holders on the side. It was like, a you know, classic early aughts backpack with a water bottle holder. And I would keep in there uh, bottles of Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> <laughs> and like Advil. <laughs> that were just in the water bottle. And then I would drink it from the... Um, Oh, bottle. Like I, th- I just took the when I would get it, just take the little measuring cup, throw that right in the trash because you're not going to have that ever. And anyway, that is how you can destroy your body is one way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel you on that lifestyle at, in my early 20s. It was like that, you know, a lot of going to the restaurant, working till one in the morning, going to the bar till two, doing the after hours. Somehow ending up at a donut shop or a taqueria, <laughs> yeah, whatever was open, and just late night eating, and so it it was pretty taxing on my body and my mental state. That yeah, yeah. it felt cool though. I'll say that much. So cool. I felt cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was also still. I had just moved to San Francisco, and I was like just diving into like the culture here, the gay culture here, and the scene and. And yes, yeah, so I was just, I was going out way too much. But I felt cool too. <laughs> I thought there was going to be more, but that was all. There was that all. was all. <laughs> you know, I I'm curious about this. So you grew up in LA, like mm-hmm. LA proper, um, San Gabriel Valley, uh, oh, east that is east of LA, extremely close to where I currently live. Oh, we got to hang out. My mom yeah, still lives down we there. Do. Also, heavily heavily Chinese, heavily. Um, which that I part of town. But actually, yes. okay, if you want to Go be ahead. really real, I grew up in Hacienda Heights. Like, that was mainly the more of the, like, f- younger years of my life. I don't know. I don't know Hacienda Heights. What's the vibe? Hacienda's, like, um, nowadays it's also more Chinese populated or, yeah. like, Asian populated. I think when growing up, it was a bit of a mix. Uh, very suburban. Um, and then I went to school at Whitt- in Whittier for Whittier Christian. Yeah. I mean, so I, I'm, I actually, yeah, I live in, I live not too, not too far from the, I live sort of looking at the San Gabriel Valley and, um, it's, it's very interesting for me be, to, because where I grew up, which was like, you know, I grew up in a suburban area that was very white. And so for me, like the distance from the city I think I had a real association with like, if you're this many miles from the city, like it will be this percentage white. And um, Mm -hmm. it has been really interesting to me to just have that like completely disproved and to see other ways that that our country is set up that's very different from how I grew up. Um, Particularly LA. LA is so like densely pocketed in each neighborhood. So if you want like the best Korean food, you go to K-Town and, you know, you want good Mexican, you go to East L.A. And it's it, there's good and bad to it. Yeah, there is good and bad to it. I mean, I, I will say that for but it's my I mean, my wife is half Japanese and we are not we are one of many um, interracial couples in this neighborhood that we live in. And then also there are a lot of Chinese couples and there are a lot of just many different types of people, age diversity. There are some queer people, mm-hmm. there are like some straight people. And it, and it just is like, I don't live in the, 
epicenter of LA. And I just didn't know that I could have that experience and not be in the epicenter because I just thought like, Mm -hmm. there's so much going on for us as a couple that I just didn't want to move us into a place where we would feel like totally isolated, even just like visually, you know, like, it's just like when, Mm -hmm. when you're the only people that look anything like you and then, you know, is that even safe? And, you know, a zillion, a zillion questions, but it's been really cool to, to be here and, and just realize that like, um, there are options. There are a lot of things in the the U S that I didn't grow up seeing, um, and lots of different places I can feel comfortable. Yeah, it's why I love San Francisco. And I mean, well, I love LA. Yes. Too, but, uh, yeah, actually, it's why I love San Francisco. Well, <laughs> this is actually here. This is actually something that I was going to ask. And I don't I don't know the answer to this. But so like, mm-hmm. so that's why I was asking where you were from in LA. Because mm-hmm. I know LA pretty well. Then New York, I don't totally know the food scene there. Because um, I've never lived there. But I've been there so many times that I like, I feel like my impression of the food scene there is that it is still very like white people food focus <laughs> um <laughs> and then i'm imagining going to san francisco and i'm just wondering like it's just because i've spent so many times and so much time in these different cities um san francisco think- has a high, super high asian population like what is the have you noticed a difference in these different cities for what kinds of cuisine like is lifted up what's available yeah or you felt comfortable I mean, this is a great question and a, a good topic because New York, I think, is like you. Okay, maybe on the higher the higher end restaurants can be a bit more catered to being, oh, you know, very white, quote unquote white. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I'm talking about uh, the and, like and, cuisine stuff that would be written about stuff, not like what's actually happening for people, but like what's lifted up and elevated. Yeah, but I do I do think right now, or at least the time we're in, there's been a lot of just really awesome ethnic restaurants popping up in in New York or have been there and are getting uplifted through the media. Um, Actually, Los Angeles being such a diverse city as well, I feel, you know, people are going out to San Gabriel to the SGV to go eat. When when I was young, nobody even knew where that was. Everyone was like, where's San Gabriel? What's what's the SGV? And so I, I love that. I think it's beautiful to see that crossover and um, people just being willing to adventure out to a new neighborhood. Um, and then San Francisco, you know, we it's always been a, a quite diverse city as well. Um, I think like Oakland has a lot of great food, a lot of great ethnic food is 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 in that sp- specifically on the East Bay versus Bay Area proper. Um, there's a lot, I mean, honestly, a lot of the restaurants here are Italian pizzerias <laughs> or, mm. uh, Californian cuisine, which right. is a bit more of a hybrid of everything. Um, but I, I mean, again, I think, but these are the major cities that do, that are so food centric that are able to like bridge to other cities, like Hey, look at what's going on. Like, look at what we're doing. They can kind of be the pioneers to it. So, um, yeah, I think everybody looks to New York and nowadays even LA for, for food, for what's trending. I have seen, I've also seen what you're talking about specifically with the San Gabriel Valley in the last few years. Cause I'm like, I'm very, I don't know. I'm just very like, <laughs> I look at a lot of stuff. I'm very ear to the ground. And one thing I always read is like, the LA Times um, 101 best restaurants. I'm just very curious mm-hmm. what makes it on there. And there are multiple places to go to get dim sum or whatever that are mm-hmm. in that list. Or or I've, I've just seen the change in including this area of town. I don't know if it's like also been interesting because I live closer to here and I'm like understanding a little bit about why that is um, significant. But I'm I know you said that you thought it was beautiful, but does it does it ever make you frustrated or angry having grown up? And, um, and I mean, now like... I can't now I can't eat at some of my favorite restaurants because they're <laughs> packed with people. <laughs> like, come on! I just want to dim sum today with my mom, and there's like I have to wait two hours now. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that frustrates sure. me. That that is frustrating. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think it's great that it's being uplifted and 
again, that I think like I, I feel seen, you know, I feel seen when I open up the LA Times and I see like a dim sum spot that I literally would eat at with my grandma like every weekend being talked about and being supported um, and, and gratefully having business, especially during what's happening now with the pandemic and all that. But um, yeah, if anything, I just, I see it as a positive all around that people are getting to know our food and yeah. we can share that because food, food brings people together. You know, you don't have to speak the same language at all and you can just serve someone something and it's like the most beautiful, happy thing experience. And so, yeah, why not continue to do that in the towns that we live in rather than like traveling to go do that? That leaves me very, per oh, that's, that's so, such a good point, which I have many follow-up questions on, but I'm actually just going <laughs> to leave it there for a second because sure. I want to circle back to something you were talking about. You said you're doing like online classes in the pandemic. And I'm just wondering about that experience because I cooking and and baking and making and like all of that has had such a renewed focus in the last couple of years because <laughs> we like can't do anything else but also i think um it's like a time it's one of those things that i'm not just talking to somebody about this yesterday it's like how how odd to have had positive experiences during this time because i think that i'm not unaware of like the drastic suffering that has happened and the loss of life and then it's not mm -hmm. been totally like a fear-free picnic in my life but then also mm -hmm. because of what's happened over the last couple of years i've been off the road for the first time in my mm -hmm. adult life and it's actually forcing me to create this like more stable home life with better friendships and it's a very it's a very strange experience to have uh, found myself like feeling very good emotionally in some ways mm -hmm. during this time and Certainly. i'm i'm just like curious if um you know what that's been like being in people's homes or like being important to people in a different way is one thing to watch mm -hmm. somebody on tv but this just feels like a very different time it's like we're not looking mm -hmm. for people to watch on tv as much we still are but we're also looking for like people to come into our homes and be part of mm -hmm. our lives in a different way Absolutely. And, you know, I kind of I went through the same experience as you where like overnight, all of my events were just canceled and done and I couldn't travel or go anywhere to to do my work. And so that kind of birthed this whole new direction of these virtual cooking classes and experiences that people could tap into. Um, and so, yeah, I started offering that in the early early year of the pandemic. I hate saying that because it's been like so long. Um, but yeah. yeah, the earlier part of the pandemic and for a, a lot of it was for, for me because I literally just felt lonely sitting in my home, not able to like cook or other, uh, otherwise just cooking for myself. And I started to think, well, how can I teach other people that are trapped in their homes and need to feed their families? And yeah, hosting these classes have been wonderful because I can have you know, a couple hundred people in the class watching and sort of like auditorium style. So you can watch and ask me questions and it's all, you know, through these like virtual, it's, it's on Crowdcast. Um, it's kind of like Zoom sort of. But. I totally know what you're talking about because I literally yeah. have taught a stand-up class in a similar It's an situation. awesome platform. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was hosting all my classes there and decided to tie them to charities and kind of give back where we could. And um, and it just kind of kept going because there was so much support from um, everyone out there to keep it going. And so I've been doing classes like once a month or so and just teaching really homey Cantonese dishes or Chinese dishes from, uh, you know, kanji to mapa tofu to vegan ramen, just all, all different things. And they're all on demand and you can go to my website at Chef Melissa King to check those out whenever you feel you want to take a class with me. Oh, but yeah, I, think I, think I will. It's, it's the actually. power of connection, you know? <laughs> I don't think you were like deliberately pitching that to me, but I think I will. <laughs> Sounds great. They're fun. And I yeah, think I will. It's, it's, yeah. 
it's for me, it was very, I think, just therapeutic and kind of like you said, like rather than watching people on TV, it pulls us into our homes together and it becomes more intimate and we can um, just kind of cook a comforting meal and have that be the thing that you share at the end of the day, at the end of the experience with your family and hopefully be a dish that you continue to make for your loved ones. Yeah. I mean, done sold. That's why I love food. You know, it's just, it's so powerful. (laughs) Food is so powerful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, as you're describing it, I will say I have like, I have the same, um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm very like happy for you. So that, that exists, but also (laughs) there's a true, there's like an envy sometimes that I feel toward, um, musicians. And now I realize chefs as well, because I like, I love the art form that I do. And then also it it is like so specific, like you do actually Mm -hmm. have to know the language and you also have to like have a bunch of cultural knowledge and a certain, you know, it's it's like so subjective. Humor is so subjective. Even the people that Mm -hmm. as a culture, we lift up as like, they're the greatest of all time. It's like to a certain group of people, like (laughs) a lot of people that hated this person. Like, you know, like, yeah. Um, and so what you're talking about, it's like, yeah, I feel like so like, oh God, you're right. That would be so amazing. <laughs> One joke I could serve to everybody and they would all get where I, what I was about. So that's beautiful. But, well, I think we're both, we're both in a beautiful art form that can touch people's lives. And okay, fine. Yeah, bring smiles to your face. So <laughs> I, I love, I honestly admire what you do. I could never do what you do. Um, it's just, it would make me so nervous and terrified to do any sort of comedy. <laughs> well, I don't know, because you've got all these knife skills. So just threaten the audience and there you go. Like it's, there we go. it's really about dominance more than anything. And <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you're going to write me into your next thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it was great. It's been great speaking to you. And I just want to ask you before, Same. before sending you back into your day, if you would shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel that you could be who you are today. Would you shout out a queero? A person, place, or thing. Yeah, because sometimes people want to like shout out a movie or a book or a bar. Or okay. So it could be a human, but it could also be someone else. Okay. I'm going to shout out the first a lesbian friend that I made here in San Francisco who now owns an awesome queer bar named Jolene's. And her name is Jolene. Awesome. But the bar is called Jolene's. So go to Jolene's because literally this person changed my life and introduced me to my queer, my current queer family and chosen family. And she's just been so dear to um, my journey, my coming out experience as a queer. And so now she's giving this, she's providing a space for other people to do the same. I've never been so to visit Jolene's, Jolene's bar in a different time. Will you take me to Jolene's with you? Yes. In a time going. where that is a possible. Like thing. next week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we're going. Yeah. Well, we'll see absolutely. who gets there. If you're in LA, we will go get food near where I live now and where you grew up. And if I'm in San Francisco, we'll go to Jolene's. Either way, there's definitely a hang. Yes, absolutely. We're making it happen. All right. <laughs> it was so good to talk to you. And um, and I'll see you when you teach me how to cook in my house in <laughs> the next. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Cameron. This is yeah. awesome. <laughs> You're amazing. 